السلام علیکم و رحمت اللہ I mentioned incidents relating to the women of the early century of Islam. I will continue doing so here today as well and mention some further incidents. These were the women who were blessed by the company of the Holy Prophet and endeavored to display the true picture of the teachings of Islam in every aspect of their life. be it in relation to obedience to Allah the Almighty, the standards of worship, basic domestic and social responsibilities, the upbringing of children, sacrificing their lives and their wealth, and displaying courage and bravery for the sake of Islam. In short, these women established an example for us on every occasion and in every aspect, not just for women, but for men as well. Hence, these incidents should most certainly serve as a means of increasing our faith and conviction. Listen to them attentively and try to make them a model for our lives. What were their standards of obedience to Allah the Almighty? Hazrat Gabriel said in relation to Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, Hazrat Hafsa anha, she observed fasts in abundance and worshipped during the nights in abundance. These were their standards. This is the effort they made to acquire the lofty standards of worship. 
so that they would not fall behind the men. If the Holy Prophet said something to the men and a woman came to know of it, she would say that why should I be left behind? One incident is as follows. Hazrat Abu Umama presented himself before the Holy Prophet and said, Instruct me of a deed to perform. Upon this, the Holy Prophet said, Make fasting obligatory upon you, as there is no deed like it. The narrator says that following this guidance, I did not only observe Hazrat Umama to always be in a state of fasting, but his wife and his maid as well. If smoke would arise from their home during the day, everyone would know that a guest was visiting them. The companions tried to act in accordance with the instructions of the Holy Prophet to such an extent, even though the Holy Prophet did not at all mean to always remain in a state of fasting. However, it was their love for the Holy Prophet which made them follow every instruction and every word of his. The Holy Prophet intended to say that you should pay as much attention as you can towards fasting and try to observe as many fasts as you can since this is a means of acquiring spiritual purity. If there is anything you should imitate, then it is these virtuous deeds, not worldly matters. Then there is a narration with regards to how the female companions acted upon the instructions of the Holy Prophet in order to acquire the lofty standards of worship. Umm al-Mu'mineen, Hazrat Umm Habiba relates that I heard the Holy Prophet say, Whoever offered 12 rakah or units of prayers during an entire day, a house will be built in paradise for that individual in return. Hazrat Umm Habiba said, Since I heard the Holy Prophet say this, I have not missed offering them. She is not speaking of obligatory prayers, the Holy Prophet drew attention towards offering voluntary prayers and that whoever offered voluntary prayers in this manner, Allah the Almighty would be pleased with that individual. One incident in relation to making financial sacrifices in the way of Allah the Almighty is as follows. Hazrat ibn Abbas relates that the Holy Prophet left the house on the day of Eid and offered two rakah or units of prayer. He did not offer any voluntary prayer before or afterwards. Another issue has been solved here that no voluntary prayers are offered prior to the Eid prayer. Following this, the Holy Prophet went to the ladies. Hazrat Bilal was accompanying him as well. The Holy Prophet gave the women some guidance and instructed them to give charity. Following this, the women took off their earrings, bracelets and jewelry and offered them as charity. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, Ahmadi Muslim women are presenting excellent examples of making financial sacrifices today as well. And it is these very examples that will and do bless their homes. And as a result of which, their wealth and lives are blessed. The Holy Prophet 
would instruct women to adopt high morals and to abstain from those deeds that were of no benefit. Useless deeds are of no benefit. Some girls write to me that can I do this and that, can I specialize in music and can I do this and that. This is of no benefit. One should do things that are beneficial. Hazrat Umm Sinan relates that I presented myself before the Holy Prophet and I entered Islam at his hands. The blessed sight of the Holy Prophet fell upon my hand, upon which he said, There is no harm on any woman among you who decorates her nails and ties a band of silk or leather around her wrist if she does not find anything else to wear. Subsequently, Hazrat Umm Sinan followed this instruction. Along with this guidance, the Holy Prophet also gave them permission to adorn themselves and wear jewelry. Since many women and girls ask that people say that it is prohibited to wear nail polish, this also proves that it is permissible to wear nail polish, it is not prohibited, and it is not wrong to do so. The female companions would always strive to attain virtue, so that if a mother had intended to do a certain act of virtue, but the mother passed away, they would try to carry out that act of virtue on behalf of the deceased. It is recorded in a narration related by Hazrat Ibn Abbas that a woman from the Johanna tribe went to the Holy Prophet and said, My mother had vowed to perform Hajj. However, she passed away before she could do so. Can I perform Hajj on her behalf? The Holy Prophet said, Yes, perform Hajj on her behalf. Tell me, if your mother owed a loan, would you pay it? You should also pay the loan owed to Allah, because Allah has a greater right to be shown loyalty, and the most loyalty should be shown to God Almighty. History records that among those who attained the rank of martyrdom at the very outset of Islam, there was also a woman. The details of this are recorded as follows. When Hazrat Sumayya bint Muslim accepted Islam, the disbelievers began inflicting many hardships upon her. The harshest difficulty was that whilst wearing iron armor, she was made to stand in the sun on the scorching sands of Mecca. Yet through it all, she remained steadfast upon Islam. One day, as per usual, the disbelievers made her wear iron armor and made her lay on the ground in the sun. As this was taking place, the Holy Prophet ﷺ happened to pass by and he said, Be patient, your abode is paradise. However, the disbelievers did not just stop at this. Abu Jahl pierced her thigh with a spear and martyred her. 
Hence, as recorded in some historical records, she was the very first person in Islam to attain the honor of martyrdom. Women have also set an unparalleled example when it comes to sacrificing their children in the way of Allah with great fortitude. There is an incident regarding this which has been recorded in history. When Hazrat Abdullah bin Zubair fought Hajjaj, he visited his mother Hazrat Asma anha, who was ill. He visited her and after asking how she was doing, he said, There is ease in death. He was consoling his mother upon seeing the condition that she was in. She replied, Perhaps you desire for me to die. But I would not like to die before one of two things comes to pass. What are those two things? Either you are martyred and I can exhibit patience or you attain victory so that my eyes are delighted. After he was martyred, Hajjaj hung him on a cross. Despite her advanced age, Hazrat Asma anha went to see this dreadful sight. Rather than crying and wailing, she addressed Hajjaj and said, The time has not yet come for this rider to dismount their horse. In other words, she very bravely commended him. Then, there is mention of an incident about enduring cruelty for the sake of protecting the Holy Prophet which is as follows. Ibn Ishaq relates, It was related to me by Hazrat Asma bint Abu Bakr anha, who said that when the Holy Prophet and Abu Bakr had embarked for the migration, a large group from the Quraysh went to her, including Abu Jahal, and stood at the door of Abu Bakr. She went towards them and they said, O daughter of Abu Bakr, where is your father? She responded, By God, I do not know where he is. Abu Jahal raised his hand and struck her face with such force that her earrings fell off. It was with such force that her ear was injured. History records an incident of a woman being separated from her son and husband as follows. Hazrat Umm Salma anha relates, When Abu Salma prepared for migration to Medina, he arranged a camel for himself, had me and my son Salma sit on it, took hold of its reins, and set out towards Medina. When my tribe's people saw him, they stopped him saying, If you have been compelled to migrate, then that is your choice. But as far as your wife, why must she leave her home? And why are you traveling with her from city to city? Upon this, the woman's relatives snatched the camel's reins from his hands and she says, They grabbed me. Upon which the Banu Abdul Asad became enraged and turned towards Salma saying, we will not allow for our son to remain with his mother when you have snatched his wife from her husband. 
Hence, Abu Salma's tribe's people took my son's hand and left with him. The wife was taken by her relatives while her child was taken by his paternal family. She says, I was taken by my tribe's people and my husband Abu Salma was taken to Medina and so in this manner the three of us were separated from one another. She says, My state was such that every morning I would go to Abta and sit there crying until the evening. I spent about a year like this until one day all of a sudden a person from the Banu Mughira passed by and felt mercifully upon my state. He said to my tribe's people, Do you not consider freeing this helpless woman? You have separated her from both her husband and child. Hence, my tribe's people permitted that if I desired so, I could return to my husband. At the same time, the Banu Abdul Asad returned my son to me. I arranged for a camel, sat my son in my lap, and sat out after my husband. I was completely alone and had no one to accompany me in my journey. I prayed in my heart that Allah would grant me a companion for my journey so that I could reach my husband. When I reached the Neem, I happened to meet Usman bin Talha bin Abu Talha, who was the brother of Abu Abduddar. He asked, O daughter of Abu Umayyah, where are you going? I said, I am going to Medina to be with my husband. He asked, Do you have any man to accompany you in your journey? I said that aside from Allah and my child, I have no one. He said, Then you will not get anywhere. He took hold of the camel's reins and set out along with me. I swear by God, I never found anyone in all of Arabia to be as good-natured as him. He quietly held the camel's reins and started walking. Whenever we reached a stop, he would have the camel sit and would then move to the side under the shade of a tree and rest. Then when it would be time to leave, he would stand by the camel and place the saddle on it and then would stand off to the side and then ask me to mount the camel. When I would mount it and secure myself, Usman bin Talha would come, take hold of the camel's reins and start walking until the next stop. He continued like this until we reached Medina. When he saw Amr bin Auf's city of Quba, he said, This must be where your husband is. And indeed, this was where Abu Salma was residing. Hence, with the name of Allah, I entered the city while Usman bin Talha returned back to Makkah. He would often say that he had never seen a family endure as much difficulty after accepting Islam as was faced by Abu Salma's family. Many of the women here have come here to this country on account of their religion. Have you ever faced such difficulty? She undertook this journey on account of her faith. And you have also traveled here on account of your faith. Despite repeating the pledge that we will give precedence to our faith over worldly matters, everyone should analyze themselves to see whether they are fulfilling this pledge. There was also the example of the man 
who established a lofty standard in his good conduct even though he was not a Muslim. In the same manner, every man should care for the honor and sanctity of women. An incident of showing patience when one's husband makes a sacrifice is mentioned as follows. Umm Ishaq Ghanaviya states that she journeyed to meet the Holy Prophet along with her brother. They had only traveled a short distance when her brother said that he had forgotten his provisions in Mecca. He told his sister to remain there and wait while he retrieved his provisions for the journey. The sister said, I am worried that my evil husband will not allow you to come. The brother assured her and went to get his provisions. She says, I remained waiting there for a few days. However, my brother did not return. Coincidentally, one day a man passed by who I actually knew. He asked why I was sitting there and so I told him. He informed me that my husband had killed my brother. Umme Ishaq Ghanviya says, I stood up saying, Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return and continued my journey. There is an incident of someone showing patience upon seeing her brother's dead body who made a sacrifice for the sake of Islam which is mentioned as follows. Hazrat Safiya migrated alongside Hazrat Zubair. When the Muslims suffered defeat at the Battle of Uhud, she set out from Medina. She would say to the companions with a tone of reproach, You have left the Holy Prophet When the Holy Prophet saw her coming, he called Hazrat Zubair and instructed him not to let her see Hamza's dead body, as the disbelievers had brutally mutilated it, and this would be a source of great grief. Hazrat Zubair conveyed the Holy Prophet message to which she said, I have already heard the entire incident about my brother. I know about everything that the disbelievers did. But in the path of God, this is no great sacrifice. The Holy Prophet then gave her permission to see the body. She went to see the body enraged and saw her dear brother's body cut and spread about in pieces. Yet she said, Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. And then she became silent and then prayed for forgiveness. There is an incident of a young woman who displayed a high standard of faith and fear of Allah the Almighty, which is stated as follows. Hazrat Aslam, who was the freed slave of Hazrat Farooq, says, One night I was strolling with the leader of the believers in the environs of Medina. He leaned up against a wall for a moment to rest. He heard an elderly woman saying to her daughter, Get up and mix water into the milk. The girl said, Do you not know that the caller of the leaders of the believers has announced not to mix water into the milk in order to increase it? The mother said, Neither the leader of the believers is here, nor is his caller. No one is watching. The girl said, By God, it is inappropriate for us to obey them in their presence and disobey them in their absence. These were the standards of the girls. They said that one should not obey them only in their presence. If there is an instruction, and we have accepted the faith, then it is necessary to always obey the Caliph of the time. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Umar became very happy and said, O Aslam, mark that home. 
He had been sitting by the corner of the wall and listening. Two days later, he sent a proposal of marriage to that girl on behalf of his son, Asim. For such a virtuous girl, who is so mindful of being honest, because God is watching us, which is why I cannot commit any wrong. Asim married her, and they had children as well. It is said that Hazrat Umar bin Abdul Aziz was from the progeny of that very woman. Allah the Almighty has commanded women to conceal their beauty, take the veil, and lower their gaze. As you have heard in the recitation of the Qur'an, furthermore, in order to conceal your beauty, you have been guided not to openly come before men outside of your family. These details can be found in verse 32 of Surah An-Nur. However, this does not mean that a woman should be imprisoned and deprived of all comforts as we see today in the Taliban. The Promised Messiah has written the commentary of the aforementioned verse in the following words, By no means does Islam command women to lock themselves in their homes, nor did women in early Islam behave in this way. On the contrary, they would come out to hear the Holy Prophet guidance they participated in wars and tended to the wounded. They rode their mounts. They learned from and taught men. Regarding Hazrat Aisha, it is recorded that she would even impart the saying of the Holy Prophet to men. In fact, once she was also a commander during a war. Thus, she had complete freedom to do as she pleased. She was only commanded to cover areas of the head, neck, and face. In order to close off avenues of sin, and if she could go a step beyond that, then she should assume the niqab. Islam does not teach women to be restricted to their homes and withdraw from their intellectual and moral responsibilities, nor has anyone practiced this before. In a hadith, it is recorded that during the era of peace, it was a practice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ to occupy his companions in friendly competition, whether it was in archery or displaying other skills of combat and strength. On one occasion, the Holy Prophet ﷺ held such a competition in the mosque and told Hazrat Aisha that if she wanted to watch, she could do so by standing behind him and looking over his shoulders. And so Hazrat Aisha stood behind the Holy Prophet and watched the display of combat skills. This proves that Islam deems it necessary for women to also be acquainted with the art of combat. It is permissible for women to practice and learn the art of combat, so if a time comes, they can protect themselves and their country. If a woman fears the shining blade of a sword, or the roar of guns and tanks. She will not happily permit her children to go out onto the battlefield, nor will she be able to protect her country herself. The very downfall of the Mughal Empire in India was owing to the cowardice of women and their immoderate love for men. Here I would also like to make a clarification. Some time ago, I said that wearing the burqa or niqab in particular is not an Islamic injunction. 
Rather, Islam instructs women to cover themselves with a veil. This does not at all mean that you should wear the veil loosely and go out in ordinary clothing. Rather, the Islamic injunction is that you should cover yourself with a veil atop your clothing, which includes the head, parts of the face, and chest. This is the instruction, after which you have the freedom to do whatever you wish outside. It should not be that you forego the veil and wear a loose scarf simply because I said it is not necessary to wear the burqa. This point should be clear. Many examples are cited about the relationship between mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law. Points are raised about the imperfect love that generally exists in the relationship between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. However, there are also examples, and we find such examples today as well, where these relationships are very positive. But the greatest instance which we find of in the history of Islam is that of Hazrat Fatima. Hazrat Fatima bint Asad was Hazrat Ali's mother. Fatima was also the name of Hazrat Ali's mother, who was the mother-in-law of Hazrat Fatima, daughter of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Fatima viewed her mother-in-law as her real mother and would serve her. When Hazrat Fatima would complete her household chores, she would tend to her mother-in-law's needs. She would not allow her mother-in-law to strain herself in work and would strive to give her comfort. She would wash her clothes, feed her food, clean her bed and spread her sheets, and help her fulfill all her responsibilities. Hazrat Ali's mother, Hazrat Fatima bint Asad, herself says, Perhaps no daughter-in-law has served her mother-in-law to the extent that Fatima has served me. She further said, My daughter-in-law, who is the Holy Prophet wasallam's daughter, is exceedingly supportive and considers me to be her real mother. This is only an example of a daughter-in-law serving her mother-in-law. There are also matters pertaining to tending to the household. Men are responsible for going out, earning a living, and attending to affairs outside the home. Here, sometimes concerns are raised that because the women worked for two hours, men should also work for two hours. This is wrong. Everyone should recognize their own responsibilities. Once everyone comes to realize their responsibilities, then peace can be established in the home, relationships can improve, and children can receive a proper upbringing. There are many incidents regarding the bravery and courage of Muslim women in history. An incident about the bravery of Hazrat Khala bint Azwar is recorded in history in the following manner. During a battle, when the companions saw Hazrat Zirar being captured, they became worried and distressed. They made many attempts to attack but could not free him. When news of Hazrat Zirar's capture reached Hazrat Khalid, he became troubled. He acquired intel on the Byzantine army from his companions and sought the counsel of Hazrat Ubaidah about launching an attack. The Byzantine army was a force that can be likened to the army of America today. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah advised that after making all the appropriate arrangements for a siege in Damascus, he could launch an attack. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah was the commander at the time. After making the necessary arrangements to lay siege, Hazrat Khalid took his companions to pursue the enemy and advised them saying, 
attack the enemy as soon as we locate them. If they have not yet killed Zirar, perhaps we can free him from them. Whereas if they have martyred him, then we will exact revenge from them. Hazrat Zirar was a soldier who fought very bravely and was distinguished amongst the Muslim army. Nonetheless, Hazrat Khalid remarked, I am hopeful that Allah will not allow grief to overcome us in Zirar's matter. In that instant, Hazrat Khalid saw a rider on a red, magnificent horse with a long, lustrous spear in hand. Bravery, sagacity, and combat experience were emanating from the rider who was wearing clothes over the armor. The rider's whole body and face was covered while advancing from the army ranks. Hazrat Khalid wished, if only I could uncover who that rider is. By Allah, this person seems exceedingly brave and courageous. However, Hazrat Khalid could not discern the identity of the brave rider who was at the front of the army. All others were following that person. When the Muslim army was approaching the disbelievers, the people witnessed the rider with immense courage attack the Byzantines as a hawk preys on sparrows. A single attack left the enemy forces in a state of panic. As the rider left piles of dead soldiers on the ground and penetrated to the center of the enemy ranks. Because the rider had already put his life in peril, he turned around and continued to penetrate deeper into the enemy ranks. The rider cut down anyone who came before him. Some people thought that this person could only be Hazrat Khalid himself. Rafe, who was standing by Hazrat Khalid, asked in astonishment, Who is this person? Those standing at a distance think that person to be you. However, you are standing here. So who is this person? Hazrat Khalid replied, I do not know. I am astonished myself as to who this person is. Hazrat Khalid was standing at the front of the enemy as the same rider emerged from the Byzantine ranks. Not a single Byzantine soldier wished to challenge the rider. The rider continued to fight many people at once among the Byzantine forces. In the course of this, Hazrat Khalid launched an attack to allow the rider to escape the surrounding disbelievers and return to the Muslim army. Hazrat Khalid said, You have taken your anger out on the enemies of Allah. Now reveal your identity. The rider did not respond and readied for more combat. Hazrat Khalid then said, O servant of Allah, you have made the rest of the Muslims and I very restless. You are so bold that you continue to fight and care not for your life. Who are you? Upon Hazrat Khalid's insistence, the rider responded, I have not remained silent out of disobedience. The rider did not refrain from answering out of disobedience. Rather, I was hesitant because I am not a man, but a woman. If that woman had not learned the art of war and combat, how could she have fought so bravely? Women would also demonstrate such examples of courage. She continued, The pain in my heart has brought me to the battlefield. Khalid asked, Who among the women are you? She replied, I'm Zirar's sister, Khola bint Azwar. When I heard about my brother's imprisonment, I did exactly what you have just observed. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Khalid replied, We should launch a collective attack. I am hopeful. I am hopeful that Allah will liberate Zirar from captivity. Hazrat Khawla said, I will also remain at the forefront of the assault. Following this, Khalid led a full-on attack. 
the Byzantines lost their footing and their armies scattered. Hazrat Rafi displayed extraordinary courage. The Muslims were preparing for another full-scale attack when suddenly a few riders from the disbelievers approached them seeking a truce. They desperately came toward the Muslims seeking protection. Hazrat Khalid granted them respite and instructed that they should be brought to him. Hazrat Khalid asked them who they were. They replied, We are from the Byzantine army. We reside in hymns and would like to make peace. Hazrat Khalid replied, We will make peace upon arriving in hymns. We cannot reach an agreement before that time. Albeit, you are granted protection. When Allah decides between us and we are victorious, then we can discuss. Aside from this, do you have any information about a brave soldier from among us who killed your commander's son? They said, perhaps you are referring to the man whose body was bare and he killed many of our men, including our commander's son. Hazrat Khalid replied in the affirmative. They replied, when he was captured and taken to Virdan, who was the leader of the Byzantine army, he was taken to the king in hymns by a company of a hundred riders. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Khalid rejoiced, summoned Hazrat Rafi and said, You are well acquainted with the routes. Take young soldiers of your choice and go free Hazrat Zirar before he reaches hymns and earn the reward of your Lord. Hazrat Rafi selected a hundred young men and they were just about to depart when Hazrat Khala implored and gained permission from Hazrat Khalid bin Walid to go with the army. They all then went under the leadership of Hazrat Rafi to hymns in order to free Hazrat Zirar. Hazrat Rafi went rapidly and having reached a certain place, he told his companions, Rejoice, for the enemy has not advanced yet and are hiding one of their battalions there. These people were in a state where the dust was still seen to be flying. Hazrat Rafi instructed the Muslims to remain alert. The Muslims were sitting prepared when the Romans arrived. Hazrat Zirar was held captive and reciting in an emotional tone, O Messenger, deliver the message to my people and to Khola, i.e. his sister, that I am imprisoned and tied in leather chains. He was aware of his sister's courage and valor and knew that if she found out, she would certainly come and plan to free him without any fear. He was reciting the couplets, The disbelievers and irreligious people of Syria surround me and are clad in full armor. O heart, perish in anguish and remorse, and O tears of bravery, flow down my cheeks. These were the couplets he recited as he lamented over his state, where he was in captivity, whilst the enemy was free in their armor. These were the couplets he recited. Hazrat Khala exclaimed out loud, Your prayer has been answered. The help of Allah has arrived. Hazrat Khala heard these couplets and there and then shouted out, The help of Allah has arrived. I am your sister Khala. Saying this, she raised the slogan out loud and launched an attack. And so the Muslims also launched their attack whilst raising slogans. The Muslims gained ascendancy over them, everyone was killed. Allah the Almighty granted Hazrat Zirar his freedom and the Muslims the spoils of war. In this way, Hazrat Khola untied the robe from her brother and greeted him. Hazrat Zirar congratulated his sister, welcomed her 
and expressed his gratitude to God. Then there is mention of the bravery and patience of a woman whose husband, son and brother were martyred, yet she became a stalwart of forbearance. Hazrat Khalad's mother, Hazrat Hind bint Amr, her mother and father were both called Amr, was the aunt of Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah. During the Battle of Uhud, after the martyrdom of Hazrat Hind's husband, son and brother, she loaded them onto her camel. Then, when the instruction was issued in relation to them, they were returned to Uhud and buried there. When she learned that they had been martyred, she originally came to take all three of them to Medina, but she then took them back. Details of this are further mentioned that it was the will of Allah Almighty for the martyrs of Uhud to be buried in Uhud. It is recorded in relation to this incident that Hazrat Aisha and the other women of Medina left their homes to get word of the Battle of Uhud. At that time, the commandment regarding the veil had not yet been revealed. When Hazrat Aisha reached Harra, she met Hind bint Amr, sister of Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr. Hazrat Aisha was leading her camel with the rope, on top of which were the bodies of her husband, Hazrat Amr bin Jammu, her son Hazrat Khalad bin Amr, and her brother Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr. Her husband Hazrat Amr bin Jammu, her son Hazrat Khalad bin Amr, and her brother Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr. When Hazrat Aisha tried to find out news about the battlefield, she asked her, Do you have any news of the state of the people you left behind? Hazrat Hind replied, The Holy Prophet is well, and every other problem is easier if he is well. If the Holy Prophet is well, then all else is not as significant. Hazrat Aisha then asked her, who is on the camel? <coughs> Hazrat Hind then answered, My brother, my son Khalad, and my husband, Amr bin Jammu. Hazrat Aisha inquired, Where are you taking them? She replied, I am taking them to Medina to be buried. She was leading the camel, but then it all of a sudden sat down and would not go towards Medina. She tried hard, but it would only stand and start to walk when returning in the direction of Uhud. As it were, they took the camel back and reached Uhud as it was the instruction of the Holy Prophet to bury the martyrs of Uhud there. In this way, she buried her husband, brother and son there. without any concern over the fact that they were martyred. Rather, she was happy that the Holy Prophet ﷺ was well. Hazrat Anas anhu relates, On the day of Uhud, when the people were at a distance from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, I saw that Hazrat Aisha and Hazrat Umm Sulaim were both covered in clothes from hands to feet. They were carrying water sacks to pour water into the mouths of the injured. Then they would return to fill them once more, to give them to drink. Hazrat Rabiya bint Muawiz relates, We would participate alongside the Holy Prophet in fighting 
we would provide water to drink, tend to the injured, and carry the injured and martyrs back to Medina. This too is no ordinary feat. Hazrat Umme Atiya Ansariya relates, I participated in seven battles alongside the Holy Prophet I would remain in the camp behind them, cook for them, dress the wounds of the injured, and serve the sick. Hazrat Umm Ammara participated in the Battle of Uhud and fought so courageously. She continued to fill the water sacks to give water to the people until the Muslims gained victory. Generally, we mention how Hazrat Talha displayed wonderful bravery in the Battle of Uhud, but Hazrat Umm Ammara displayed no less courage. It is recorded that when the temporary defeat took place and when the tides had turned in battle, she reached the Holy Prophet and became his shield. When the disbelievers approached, she would repel them with arrow and sword. The Holy Prophet himself states, I witnessed her fighting to my right and left. The Holy Prophet himself bore testimony to the fact that Hazrat Umm Ammara was fighting to his right and left during the Battle of Uhud. When Ibn Kamiya swiftly reached the Holy Prophet Hazrat Umm Ammara went and repelled him she sustained a deep wound to her shoulder. He struck his sword and left a deep wound on Hazrat Umm Ammara's shoulder. Hazrat Umm Ammara struck her sword, but he was wearing double armor and so her strike was unsuccessful. Whilst narrating the history of these women, Hazrat Muslim Anhu stated in one sermon, One woman came to the Holy Prophet and said, do men have a closer relationship with God Almighty because they are allowed to participate in battle whilst we are not? We too shall take part in the fight. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, That is fine. Therefore that woman took part in a battle and when the time came to distribute the spoils of war, she was also given her full share. Some companions questioned as to why she needed to be given her portion. The Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, She shall also be given her share. Hence this woman was given her share and the practice was thus established that when men went to battle, the women would accompany them to dress the wounds. Women also continued to take part in battles after the demise of the Holy Prophet and in fact, women were also commanders in some battles. Hazrat Muslimad gave the example of Hazrat Aisha, who was the commander, irrespective of who was in the right or wrong at the time. Nevertheless, Hazrat Aisha was well acquainted with the arts of war. She was made commander. As it were, Later on, she realized the battle was a mistake, which is why she raised the white flag to reconcile. Hence, women at that time were also well-versed in military arts. They would learn everything and they possessed courage. They would not simply remain sitting at home. The battle of this age is the jihad of the pen, of distributing literature and of outreach. Therefore, it is the duty of women to fully participate in outreach efforts and to be equipped with that spiritual weapon which is necessary for preaching. They should acquire religious knowledge. They should seek knowledge from the books of the Promised Messiah and from the Ahadith. They should display their excellent examples and mold their states to be in line with Islamic teachings. Only then will they be able to serve Islam. Therefore, one must analyze themselves to see if they are merely chasing the world 
or if they wish to fulfill their pledge. Always remember that it takes sacrifices to attain any great feat. Rather than questioning small matters and asking why we need to do this or that, make sacrifices, take care of your modesty and attire, pay attention to attaining religious knowledge, and strive to fulfill your pledges. Always remember this. And there is no need to fall prey to any complex or to any feeling of inferiority that what will worldly people think if we act upon the Islamic teachings? We are to make the worldly people follow us and through our examples we shall, God willing, wave the banner of Islam and Ahmadiyyat in this country. May Allah Almighty enable you all to do so. Amen. I mean.